Welcome to the Inspirational Insights Podcast. I'm Donna Jones, your host, and today we're talking to Anna-Marie Lombard, who founding of Sensory Intelligence Consulting. I'm pretty excited because if anybody's walked into a crowd and come home exhausted, there's 20% or so of us who process information differently. It's a real asset to companies. It's a real asset to your life, but you have to learn how to work with it. Today, we're going to be talking about how to work with the senses as a gift, as opposed to sometimes feels like not a gift when it's hard to to attend parties and so on. Anne-Marie Lombard has her PhD in occupational therapy, and she is taking a lot of this work and applying it to people and human behavior. Strong passion in that, which is where we are today as we better understand how do we work with complex issues? How do we work with adversity to be better as humans and preferably to stop pedaling backwards to the past? At the end of the day, is about how do we help human beings understand themselves better, understand the workplace better, and just make sense of life. Let's dispel a few myths about sensing, because having watched a bunch of TED Talks on sensing and some of the reactions people have is like, ooh, sensing, that's woo-woo stuff. People get all nervous and silly. Can we get rid of a bunch of myths right off the top? I'm so glad you're asking that, Dorna, because sensing is an absolute human behavior. It's part of being human. Sense is also a neurological process by which all of us, the brain, the human brain, take in information from the environment. So there's a basic neurological response to any type of sensory stimulation within the environment. All of us do it every day, all day, okay? Yes, it happens different for all of us. These are individual differences in a unique way through which all of us do sense. But sensing as such is a day-to-day human behavior that all of us do. It is where the brain gets kick-started. Any action that we have start with a sensory awareness, a sensory stimuli, which is the sensing element. It's quite a fundamental part of human behavior and how the brain works and how the brain responds to the environment. Nothing weird about it nothing funny about it. It's human behavior at its core, human behavior at its core in relationship and in response to what is happening in your environment. When you're aware of it, I think you've got a real asset because when you're working in environments of uncertainty and or complexity, and I'm using those terms pretty consistently because it's just one way of characterizing the environment consistently. But when you're working with those environments, is your antenna for what's going on around you. You need it for awareness of your context. At least that's my experience. Has that been borne out by research at all? Absolutely. I love the fact that you call it an antenna. And I think that's very, very true. All of us have a different neurological threshold. So the human brain has different levels by which you respond to sensory stimulation. In other words, you can have a much more in tune antenna which has got more low thresholds and more sensitivity, which means your brain absorbs more messages. In the nervous system, because of sensitization that occurs, the nervous system literally takes in more frequent and more intense stimulation from the environment, which makes you more intuitive, more aware. You pick up nuances, you hear more, you see more, you smell more. And that does make you a lot more intuitive, typically, to what goes on in the environment. That's the one extreme. 
The other extreme is your antenna doesn't work so well. The brain habituates more. And when the brain habituates, your brain automatically let go of a lot of these messages. We're talking about a continuum of sensitivity, which is part of our genes. We are genetically wired to be like this. At the one end, it's the sensitivity, more awareness, more intuition, pick up more messages, but it also creates more overload. I don't want to go to that restaurant, it's too busy, or please turn down the radio, it's too loud, versus the other extreme, I would love to go into that busy environment, or let's turn up the radio, or I want to hear more, I want to experience more. This continuum goes from the one end with a high antenna, high sensing, sensitivity, and to the other end, more disregard for information naturally, automatically. These pros and cons to every one of them. None is better than the other one. There's no right or no wrong here. We are wired differently. We respond differently to the environment. And it makes some of us more intuitive uh, to sensory stimulation. And for others, we've got capacity to just disregard and are more resilient to sensory stimulation. There's various levels to unpack that. Totally. <laughs> now, in the context of companies and workplaces, what do people who know themselves to be more sensitive or who don't know themselves to be sensitive, what do they need to watch for in order to select a really healthy environment and to stay functional in? My PhD was done in the call center industry. So I was looking for the busiest, craziest, noisiest, smelliest work environment. And then voila, I got onto a call center. I'm like, what? They expect people to work. So that was the therapist in me looking at an environment and being very mindful of the fact that people who have got more sensitivity and low threshold would typically not really enjoy working in that environment. They'll be more prone to be overloaded. They'll be more prone to be distracted and they'll be more prone to get stressed. First and foremost, ideally, we want to identify what works for us. Are we more prone to be more sensitive on the one extreme or are we more prone to be seeking on the other extreme? And if we can firstly map out the type of environment or the job that we do accordingly, that's first price. Okay, but that's not always the case because people learn these things about themselves often much later. But then if you're aware of your sensory needs, one can adapt your environment because everything, a lot of the strategies are situated with the environment. For instance, turn down the ring of volume on your phone. We've got a very practical approach to this. Turn down the ring of volume on your phone or turn off your notifications on your digital devices if you are more auditory distracted or you're a lot more in tune with auditory information. Close the blinds, open the blind, turn up the noise, turn down the noise, switch the light on, switch the light off. Headphones, I think earphones is best invention ever because we can also use that to control the amount of sensory stimulation within our environment. Small things matter. Sometimes a simple thing of using a headphone or turning down a notification on a device means there's less distraction. Your capacity to be focused and to concentrate on a particular task gets enhanced. With small, tiny little adaptations to the environment, we boost our personal productivity levels through being more in the moment, being more present, less distracted and less stressed. I've given you a few practical examples. There's many, many more. Obviously, if an employer or an organization is aware of how do we make tiny adaptations to accommodate people within a space to promote 
comfort, to promote productivity, and then ultimately health and well-being, then everyone wins in the process as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Absolutely. Particularly at the decision-making level, because if you are flooded with social emotional data in the space you're in, you can't function. It's really impossible to make decisions. Exactly. If you're in what we call sensory overload, in other words, you are pumped, flooding, your brain is flooded with all of the sensory information. The primitive brain, which is the lower part of the brain, which really have to process, regulate and modulate all of this stream of incoming information, it basically hijacks the brain. And your executive brain, which is your thinking brain, where you go into reasoning, abstract thinking and performance gets hijacked. We go into this state of a type of an overload can be a little bit of anxiety for some. It could be removing from the environment. It's not a good space for your brain to be in because you won't release that cognitive element of your brain in order to think and in order to work and in order to be the best version of yourself. Too much flooding of information, too much sensory overload is not conducive for us being comfortable and releasing cortical thinking and executive thinking for best productivity. Totally makes sense to me having experienced it and not being aware of it either, which didn't help. When I was professionally facilitating a lot of different groups, I would deal with a lot of high-end conflict and I'd come out of that just wiped to the point where I'm crawling down the hallway and I thought, what's going on here? So I get myself to the hospital and they say, oh, you're fine. Your iron levels are great. And well, I'm not fine. Something's not okay here. That was the signal that there was something bigger going on in my environment that I was not attuned to. I've worked with horses for 40 plus years and there's plenty of attunement there, but this was an attunement more to my energy that I wasn't uh, on top of. It's been a real teacher for figuring out what are the contexts in the environments where I need to avoid or deal with differently or manage differently. It's been a real teacher. If I look at it through the leadership lens for people in companies who might be listening to this, it's been invaluable in terms of being able to see ahead and see around corners. My world is signals and cues. What are the things that are in the environment that signals something's coming, signals something's ahead? The pandemic is a good example. You could see something was going to come. You didn't know what it was going to be, but you knew something was going to come because the system was out of balance badly and it needed to be rebalanced. When you have that kind of sensory data coming at you, but you can't explain it directly, but you can say, whoa, I got a feeling something's going to, I don't know what it's going to look like. And then when it hits, you go, okay, that's what I felt. It's a little bit referring to, I'm going to call it gut, because the senses that we work with, where's the receptor, where's the pathway, where does it go into the brain? We don't necessarily know where gut particularly lie. And the senses that we work with is visual and auditory, smell, taste, touch, and then movement consist of two senses. But Donna, that's exactly what you have been experiencing, because Your brain is so intuitive. These low thresholds, there's a lot more of an intuition. You kind of read between the lines. You experience situations and environments in a lot more detail and in a lot more frequency and a lot more intensity. And you know something is off. You don't necessarily know what it is, but you know something is off. And I think you hit the nail on the head. The self-awareness around this is really critical because there's no right or wrong. It can be a gift, but it can also be to your detriment where you were saying you're feeling ill or you feel like you've been overloaded and you get stressed and your system shuts down the awareness of what are our essentially needs 
how is your brain wired? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? And why it doesn't work for you is, is really critical and important. If leadership can embrace the fact that people are different and on such a fundamental level, the essential intelligence piece that we look at is very fundamental. It really boils down to the lower parts of the brain, really looking at that initial sensing. How does the brain take in information? How does it filter? How does it modulate? in order to help and facilitate us to be more attuned, to be more present, to make better decisions, to make better choices, and then obviously to be the better version of ourselves. Now, ultimate for me, and I have to go back to if we feel comfortable and if we feel safe and if we feel healthy and well, then the world is okay. But if that gets compromised, that's when we get ill and we get stressed and our system starts to shut down and we're not the best version ourselves. So I think it's really that self-awareness and making sure that you choose the right environment for you as far as you possibly can, which is really critical. It's interesting that right now there's so much emphasis on psychological safety when, at least for me, as someone who's not even anywhere near as sensitive as some of my colleagues are, it's social emotional safety. Is this environment conducive to me being able to express my ideas, being able to collectively reflect on something? All of these things that are inherent part of collective intelligence in the sense of us all combining our very diverse thoughts into something that's focused on a particularly large preferably transformational type of goal like climate change or any one of these big issues, even organizational change. It takes that level of recognition that diversity is a critical aspect, diverse thinking, diversing of worldview. It's a critical aspect of being able to do anything in today's world, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. If we understand the human brain and if we understand the neuroscience behind that, it's actually quite simple. Forgive me for making the brain a simple concept because it was not simple. But still, if we think back, how does the brain start any kind of action? And it starts with sensing because the receptor, all of our sensory receptors take in sensory stimulation from the environment. And then it actually enters the brain at the bottom. If we understand the anatomy and the physiology of the brain, the brain first sends through the lower primitive brain structures. And then it gets sent up to more of the midbrain structures where our emotions are often located. If you talk about psychological safety, it's such a brilliant and a very important concept, but it starts with sensing and we can interfere or we can influence psychological safety starting with your environment and through the sensing that happens in the environment because the brain first sends, then it feels emotions through the middle part of the brain and then ultimately it moves to the executive part for thinking so the brain sends feel and thinks if we really make it as rudimentary as that obviously the brain is a lot more complex than that but it's a great way to explain the trajectory of these processes and how it works and then there's this constant interaction between those but we can definitely influence psychological safety through starting with the environment and having the environment being more aligned and being more uh, conducive for people where it's not too much distraction and too much noise or too much chaos. When I talk about chaos, I talk about sensory chaos, too much information, too much messaging, flooding of the senses, which really it puts the brain immediately on a bit of a, what we call 
uh, sympathetic nervous system response, your brain go into fight, flight, or fright. What is happening very subconsciously. It's not conscious, it's subconscious, where the brain then responds and say, I'm not feeling happy, I'm not feeling comfortable. Subconsciously, we just get the feeling of I'm not happy or I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling irritable or I need to remove myself, not necessarily connecting all of those dots. Understanding this and the self-awareness really, really helps with connecting the dots, creating those aha moments and they knows why does a certain environment work for you and another one doesn't work for you. Fundamental insights for people personally, but also from an organizational and leadership point of view. Definitely, definitely. It's another piece of understanding what makes humans tick, what works for them, what doesn't work for them, and why through a century environmental lens, which I think is so powerful because adapting or changing to that is very practical and very easy. Often, tiny, small, little changes can go a long way. I relate to that. I appreciate you mentioning the word nuance because nuance are these subtleties. And I noticed that in environments where there's absolutely no connection to the emotional state, in other words, if we decided that we're not emotional creatures, we're actually robots in human form, then we're not paying attention at all. It's all black and white. There's no access to nuance. And yet in an environment of complexity, everything is nuanced. It's all highly nuanced. Everything is nuanced. There is no black and white. There's no right or wrong here. There's so many variations. And for instance, to step into that complexity, if we, for instance, look at your senses, we've got an assessment where we actually score your thresholds. For instance, you can have high threshold for visual, meaning you would like and your brain seeks out visual information, but you could have low threshold for auditory. You could have very low threshold or just a little bit low, but medium threshold for touch. So the nuances of how one particular nervous system has in response to the environment is often drastically different to someone else's. What you attune to, what you pick up, your level of presence, your level of awareness is really calibrated around those nuances of every person's nervous system. It's actually a fascinating world to look into and a way to understand human behavior and why we do certain things or not do certain things. I'll use the example. Friday night, end of the week. It's been a hectic week. It's been a tiring week. A lot of people like, woohoo, let's go out. Where are we going to go? Who are we going to go visit? Who are we going to drag along? Which is typically your sensory seekers. They would just would like to go out and have more information. And then you would have your sensory avoiders, your sensitive group. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm staying at home, putting my feet up. Maybe I'll binge watch something on Netflix and I'll order a pizza. The choices that we make for ourselves is so much interwoven with these nuances of our sensory systems and where we have control over it that's beauty usually I find people do gravitate towards making better choices not always but usually it's when we are set in a particular static space like a workplace where there's not capacity for making those tiny little nuances where people often get stuck and where I think People miss the opportunity of how do we create the best version of the people that we have in an organization, in a team. It's such a beautiful way to optimize human beings. When we were talking earlier about the environment that you're in, I call that contextual awareness. The situational stuff is you and I sitting across from each other chatting, but the context is everything that we're not paying attention to around us. To me, the level of awareness 
that's required today, whether you're sensitive or not. It's that's to be easy. able to expand that lens and say, gee, what is the environment I'm in? And how does exactly. that change my behavior? That's a skill set that I think is really required. It's really served me well in training myself as a facilitator because I'd be in the moment working with a group and then be out of the moment watching how I was working with the group and what the group was doing. It's self as witness, I I believe is one of the terms I've heard. And I thought, I like that. I've used other terms as well, but it's just that idea to be able to pull yourself out of the situation you're in and observe. Let's talk about Dave Snowden's kind of framework. He's very clear. It's a framework. It's not a model. And I'm really thankful for that because models drive me nuts in all four quadrants. And this is contextual awareness, whether it's simple, complicated, complex, or chaotic. The one core element that threads all of those four different, very different contexts together is sensing. How did you respond when you saw that? I had a really nice chuckle and think, brilliant. Of course, it is sensing. So it draws me back to the first question that you asked me about. What is this really all about? It's fundamental to human behavior. Any connection that we make with any type of context start with sensing. Sensing is part of it. Because in order to have any type of response or action, where did it start? It's a neurological awareness. And I call it neurological awareness because I've studied the brain. And true, I've studied the brain and I'm tongue in cheek. It's a really tricky object to study, but I understand enough of the neurological processes to bring it back to what does sensing really mean? Sensing means whenever we're in any context, there's a sensory element and a sensing element because it's the awareness of what goes on. Before we can solve a problem or decide what framework really applies, what is it that we have? What do we have to work with? To know what it is that we are working with starts with sensing because sensing is that first stimulation trigger in the nervous system to start to be aware of what is it that we have to work with. So I was really chuffed. I'm not very familiar with the frame of Dawn, so thank you for introducing me to it. For me, it is fundamentally part of how we interact with our world on a day-to-day basis. Love the concept, really love the concept. What's interesting for me also is logically... Sensing is your brain's first data input, because if we look at the singular purpose of your brain, it is keep keep the body, keep you safe. And so it's taking in information and then quickly, like millisecond quickly, is sending that information to decide where to from here. So the heart's intelligence, the gut brain, all of these neural systems interact to keep you safe. If you're somebody who's applying for a new job in a company, when you're walking in and having those conversations... You're having the dialogue between two people, but you're also taking in what's the environment, what's the space I'm in, how how does it make me feel? And I think there's a degree to which somatic intelligence comes in, being able to be aware of what your body is doing and how your body's processing information. And and I guess you can call a little bit of primary and secondary sensing if we want to use sensing terminology, because primary sensing is what is your brain, what we call sensitizing to, what is the important things that you need to pay attention to. That's primary sensing. But the secondary sensing means your brain still absorbs everything else that goes on in the periphery. And in that particular context, you might not be attending to that directly, but your brain still takes in those messages to read between the lines or to get the nuances of what goes on in your environment. 
We obviously do know the lower your thresholds are and the more sensitive you are, the more primary sensing happens. So you attend to more information because that's what's happening in the nervous system. There's a triggering of receptors that escalate the messages that happens through all those particular channels. That's what happens if people are more sensitive. You read between the lines or you preempt and you're more aware of it. You might find someone like that moving out of an interview will be more tired after the interview than someone who's on the opposite end with high thresholds. High threshold people, their primary sensing is more specific and more direct, and their brain automatically disregards all of the extra messages. Typically, that group of people, for instance, going out of a difficult interview won't be as tired because their brain didn't have to work that hard to sense and process all of that information. It's a fascinating contradiction in a whole lot of ways. I find when I'm in certain environments, I don't get exhausted. We can have these conversations and I'm charged. Then I can go into a large scale social situation. And after a while, I can't even see straight. It's really interesting. That happens a lot. And this applies to organizations. If you're looking for a job in a company, you're looking for how much mental energy is there? in the space. Exactly. Because exactly. when there's too much mental energy in the space, first of all, I get a headache. In other words, there's a physical response to what's going on in my environment that I have to figure it out. I have to go, okay, I'm feeling this. Hmm, what does that tell me? In other words, the interpretation requires you to suspend judgment and just be with it for a bit until you can start to sift through what is this telling me? What's the meaning that I can attach to it or use to interpret what I'm experiencing here? In spite of the fact it can be tricky to have a high level of sensory processing capacity, it's also a teacher. Having spent years on the road and traveled around the world a couple of times, lots of times you're in environments that are eh, a little tricky. You don't know how to read them. They're different, completely different environments. You find yourself relying on those, as I said earlier, signals and cues. And what's my body telling me? Because most of it's so unconscious that you'll be experiencing it. And then afterwards you go, oh, wow, that was interesting. <laughs> Sensing is unconscious, Donna, because it happens in the primitive brain. And the primitive brain doesn't have thinking capacity. Thinking only happens in the executive brain. A lot of this is unconscious. and. The environment is critical for us. There's two things here. We treat or we regard the environment as a therapeutic modality. And forgive me for going into a little bit of therapy speech here. But we believe that if you understand the environment and your relationship and your sensory irritation in relation to your environment, we can use the environment as a therapeutic modality. Do we need to increase? Do we need to change? Do we need to avoid? Do we move away from? It's finding what I call that perfect match, because if we can match the environment there's ease, there's certainty, there's confidence, there's comfort. And you've explained that now of your experiences, or if there's a bit of a mismatch with the environment, there's a little bit of apprehension, there's a bit of discomfort, I'm not so sure. It's all the primitive messages that the brain is telling you, is this the right space for you to be in or not? But we have to remember the brain is plastic, so we can accommodate, obviously, and we do accommodate and we do recalibrate continuously, successfully as well, the key thing goes back to sustainability. Because if there's a misfit between your sensing process and your environment on a continuous level, 
it is going to create fatigue. It is going to drain your energy. It is going to make you be less productive. It is going to make you ill. A, a misfit or a mismatch between you and your environment has got a sustainability element into it. We want to avoid that at all costs. Where there's more of a match, it's much better because your brain will create more comfort. It will be easier. And your resilience and your sustainability to be within that space is going to definitely be enhanced. That's quite a magical balance for me of interaction between human brain, sensory threshold sensing and making better choices for the right type of environment, which really boils down to, do you know what makes you tick from an environment and a sensory point of view, which is so powerful. Do you have any suggestions? Do you have any ways that people who suspect they might be sensitive? First of all, let me back up and provide a little bit of content. I've done talks in various workshops, seminars, and it's been around the intuitive side. One of the strengths of intuition is energetic sensitivity, which mm. made sense to me when I heard that. And I realize now that's one kind of language for sensing because that's what you bring in. Yes. Uh, and I've had men in the environment say, whoa, you just made sense of a whole lot of things. And quite frequently, these men will be told that they're insensitive. But the exact okay. opposite is true. Firstly, the awareness is key. What we want to understand with sensory threshold and sensory systems, there's no right or wrong here. How are you wired? What does it mean for you? How can you adapt to it? The more sensitive you are, it is about controlling your environment and controlling the intensity and the frequency of your environment. And Dawn, I'm just now imagining you traveling the world and delivering talks from a highly sensitive or being highly sensitive. It means the better you plan those interactions, the more comfortable you will feel. Planning and preparation is really important. If you can go to a place where, say, for instance, you would do a face-to-face -face delivery or you would have a discussion with a group, I would definitely go earlier. Make sure that you're there at least an hour or half an hour before. Don't come in at the last minute because then it means your brain have to adjust and calibrate to what's going on in your environment. Preparation is really critical and it's key. If you would travel, I wouldn't travel back to back and fit too many things in at once because the more sensitive your brain, the more your brain absorbs. The capacity for you to go into overload is much higher. And remember, sensory input is accumulative. So you might go with the flow and feel very comfortable. And then you get to a point like, oh, no, I can't do this anymore. That means your brain might have gotten to that capacity. For, this is it. I've reached my saturation point. Usually when that happens, you have to totally withdraw, which then is a space where we don't want to be. So planning less engagement, know where it is, smaller groups, more predictability is going to manage the intensity and the amount of messages that's going to come through to your brain. That's one of the key things. Just using you as an example, which is quite fundamental, maybe it's easy, maybe it's not, but the more control you have over your environment, the easier it is then to manage the amount of stimulation that your brain have to absorb. This is wonderful. I wish I'd had this information back in both 2017 and 2019 when I went to the World Economic Forum conversations in Davos. And oh my gosh, days of being in those high stimulating environments. And then my colleague and I would go skiing afterwards 
And I literally was standing upright, but I was half asleep. I couldn't yeah. process anything. I was completely zombied. I realized I had been fairly zombied throughout the whole thing as well. Yeah. So so hot chocolate got me through, but it wasn't the best solution. And then also traveling and hotel rooms. Traveling is a very sensory overloaded type of an environment. You're sitting tight-knitted to other people, touch these smells, these people within your space, these not space where you can't jump out of the plane when it's too much. Traveling and moving to different places and going into different hotel rooms mean your brain have to constantly readjust to new unfamiliar messages happening which kind of put you on that high alert state consistently and if that happens too much no wonder you were falling half asleep it was your brain's protective mechanism just trying to keep you going but I want to share something with you today onto the other end as much as you are sensitive and sensing Donna I'm at the other extreme Since COVID, I'm working solidly from home to my detriment. I've got high threshold. I need stimulation. I shouldn't be working from home the whole time. So this morning, I was out early. I was stuck in traffic in a commute. And I was like, yay, putting the radio on loudly, phoning people. And I was thinking how sad that a commute for me was an absolute kick this morning because my brain doesn't get stimulated enough. And I also ended up sitting in an interesting warehouse with old classic cars and a coffee shop. And the hustle and the bustle totally energized me today because my needs are so different. And as I say, there's no right or wrong. It's just understanding what works for you and what do you need to do in order to keep your brain at that maximum level. We call it arousal level. So your arousal level is maximum. And in that best arousal state, we produce the best quality of work, obviously, for longer periods of time. So how did you get to doing what you're doing now, given that (laughs) you don't go through the same experience that certainly I have over the years? It was a wonderful journey, Dawn. And I look back at it and think, wow, I've made so many mistakes and I've had so many interesting experiences. But it literally started with me as an occupational therapist working with children with autism, ADHD, and using sensory integration as a treatment modality. Loved it. Really enjoyed it. Did that for 15 years. And I actually had a wonderful period of traveling and working in the States for three years I moved 26 times in three years, which was phenomenal. Really, really enjoyed it. And then ended up in a sensory integration clinic in Los Angeles. Work of an amazing woman who really stimulated me and then came back to South Africa. And I just couldn't find my feedback into clinical practice. I started to get involved in training. And when I started to train other people, I was like, wow, the light bulb got switched on for me. I realized that I needed to go more into education and training. And then I took Sensory integration, which was the world that I was trained in, then started to do my research in the call center space, expanded more into sensory processing, understanding highly sensitivity, the work of Elaine Aaron, the work of Marvin Zuckerman, highly sensitivity, sensation seeking. Against an occupational therapy framework, I started to work with adults and helping them understand How am I wired? What does it mean for me? How do I interact with my children? How do I interact with my spouse? How do I interact with my family? Why do I love to go to that coffee shop, but I hate that restaurant? Why do I don't want to eat this type of food, but I like that type of food? What clothing do I prefer? What type of clothing do I avoid? 
And then ultimately, where's the best space for me to work? That became my launch pad of helping people understand their senses, their threshold, their sensitivity, or their seeking behavior. How does it influence their life? How does it make life easier? This is now full-blown since 2003. I did it part-time, 2005, full-time. Loving it, loving it. Sharing the central intelligence message with people in being more self-aware with organizations. How do we bring this in to help organizations be more effective, be more mindful, create more comfort, well-being spaces? It's wonderful to see the work design space also embracing designing for comfort. And it filters into the neurodiversity lens, but this is human, this is how we all are wired. What does it mean for me as an individual? And how do I optimize that? That has been a little bit of my journey. And I think what would be interesting to mention is when COVID hit and we all had gone into lockdown, that has been fascinating stories that we shared with clients. Some people, particularly those more sensitive, loved lockdown, love working from home. If your home environment is conducive, obviously, if you've got a baby and a toddler, and you share it with a lot of people, it's not necessarily that conducive. But having the capacity to work from home is for that 20 to 30% of people who are more sensitive and absolute godsend because they've got control, there's more quietness, there's more focus spaces. Versus the other lot, which is I'm on the other lot, people who really hated lockdown, I'm feeling lonely, I got cabin fever, and I go back to the office. So this whole dynamic between home working, office working, hybrid working has become such an interesting journey. We've also used a lot of this insider methodology to help people and organizations be more mindful. How do we optimize that for individual differences and being, being aware of the fact that what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for someone else? And how can we work with that to create that sweet spot for people? Yeah, I love that. Particularly since now there's a lot of rethinking about using space, rejigging it to fit a more hybrid model. Some of the decisions I think around, is it hybrid or is it, have not been made in a very conscious manner. They've just been made on, I think people should be in or out, as opposed to understanding more deeply what are the needs that dictate the decision and the personal decision to stay at home or not. Exactly. I've just spoken to someone, she just returned from New York and she said, New York is Hustle and bustle, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, Friday, it's like dead. There's nothing going on. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I haven't visited New York for a while, so I should go check it out myself. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, people who's got medium to high threshold, let them go to the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. People who've got low threshold, let them go Monday, Friday, because there will be less people. They'll still get the connection. We all need the connection, the collaboration. But making this a lot more scientific, the scientific clarity that we can have with making these decisions around how the nervous system is wired, how the nervous system responds. And fundamentally, we can help people just to do better work on a day-to-day basis if we put them in the right environment at the right time. Yeah, that makes sense. Where do people go for more information? And I know you've got a really cool assessment tool, the Sense Modeler. Yes, people can go onto our website, www.centralintelligence.com. We have two assessments that we use, actually three assessments. We have a recruitment tool for contact centers, and then we have the Century Matrix, which is an assessment where you can go measure yourself, and it will identify all your nuances and your threshold across all your systems and provide you with 
a 26-page report with lots of ideas and strategies on how to maximize this for yourself. And then we've just recently also launched Census at Work, which is an assessment to see where should people work, home, hybrid, or office, how should we slice that up for people, and how can we accommodate them? How do we change our work environment? How do we change our digital environment? Because we're so stuck behind our computer screens. How do we optimize the digital space as well? So those are all available on our websites. And then we love teaching, training, educating, coaching groups, individuals. That's in the the DNA of what we do as a group. Anne-Marie, I want to thank you very much for being on the program. Great conversation. It builds on to the wider awareness that we need to be bringing into the decisions we make today, but also how we lead our lives with a more thoughtful, more grounded understanding of who we are and as an individual, but then how we are in social and wider settings. So thank you very much for being on the program with me today. Thank you, Dawn. It was an absolute privilege. Always blessed to share the message. And everyone, thanks for listening or watching. So it was an honor. Thank you for asking me. If 20% of the population falls into the category of highly sensitive people, you've got a group that can really help organizations see ahead because that's One of the benefits, you have to become much more emotionally intelligent, much more intuitive intelligence to have access to that foresight, but it's available. Most organizations are so mentally focused and so mentally concentrated and really designed for extroverts. The people who are sensitive, who could help with seeing ahead before things happen and hit, are on sick leave and or stress-related illness. Organizations can change that, and so can the individuals involved by becoming more skilled to work with these kinds of noisy environments, more skilled in the sense of looking after yourself and of being respectful of that particular gift. Yes, sometimes it doesn't feel so much like a gift, but it truly is. My name is Donna Jones. I'm the host of this program, and I thank you very much for joining me. Please like, share, review this podcast, this episode, and also join up with me on LinkedIn, D-A-W-N-A-H Jones is the LinkedIn address and or Instagram. See you on the next episode.